What's up, guys? It is Monday, October 26, 2020, and this is an edition of the Fritzcast. It's not coming out on a Friday. What? What's going on here? I don't. I, this is this is too much. This is too weird. What's going on? I just uh, I just sat down and I just finished up uh, a great conversation with the Libertarian in Chief, the Todd Father, Todd Hagopian. Uh, who's running for Oklahoma Corporation Commissioner. I've, I've had to rehearse that position about a dozen times <laughs> to not screw up, and I think I might have still screwed up during our interview. Uh, so hopefully hopefully I didn't. But uh, but uh, me and Todd talked extensively. Todd was the first guest on FritzCast ever. Uh, started, started, kicked off... The guests of Fritzcast uh, back in December 2019, and since then you've seen some of the guests I've been able to bring on: Brian Nichols, uh, uh, Bill Ottman, the CEO of Minds.com, Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian presidential candidate, Spike Cohen, the vice presidential candidate, Connor Dragotis. I've been able to have a lot of different names on. Adam Kokesh, I had on during the campaign before the Libertarian nominee for president was uh, selected. Uh, Jacob Hornberger, so many different people, and it all. I credit it all. I stem it all from the Todd father, Todd Hagopian, because he gave me a good footing. He gave me a great first interview and gave me the confidence that I could, you know, do this. So I had a very in-depth, interesting conversation with Todd about uh, about his race in Oklahoma, the state of local races for the Libertarian Party, uh, races like Ricky Dale Harrington Jr., Donald Rainwater, even a couple that, you know, you probably haven't even heard of yet that are ones that we need to keep our eyes on as libertarian uh, uh, voters and, and libertarian promoters, uh, which I'm I'm grateful for. And so Todd coming on the show, being able to talk about all this, we even talk, you know, about, you know, the usual stuff, pandemics, Donald Trump, Joe Biden. Uh, divisiveness in politics, all that stuff. Uh, so it's a great jam-packed episode. I'm not going to keep you waiting on on this, on an intro. I'm just going to tell you right now, get ready and tighten your seatbelts, because this is Todd Hagopian on the FritzCast for a second time, the first guest ever and the first return guest. All right, I'm here with my guest, second appearance for him, Todd Hagopian. Todd, welcome back to the Fritzcast. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here. Yeah, I had you on. Uh, it's it's been a while. I had you on in December 2019. That was before the pan. That was before the dark times, the pandemic, and yeah. everything. <laughs> back when you could shake hands and have a beer. <laughs> yep, yep. You could uh, you could go out and have a life. Now it depends on depends on where you live. That's right. Uh, so. <laughs> You know, it's interesting that that pops up too. Uh, so, how how has the pandemic been for you? I mean, everybody everybody seems to have a different answer when I ask this question. So, yeah, it's been interesting for me. I mean, I've got four kids. We tend to stay home most of the time anyway because of that. Um, but certainly, I was running a company that had 250 employees. There was a lot to a lot of changes that went into place with that. Um, and then, of course, the biggest news for me during the pandemic is I got laid off. Uh, during the pandemic um, through a consolidation. Uh, so that affected me quite a bit, obviously. Um, and I went out and bought a new business in the middle of uh, the worst pandemic we've had in 100 years. And that's what I'm doing now. So so when people ask me how the pandemic's affected me, it was really um, 
uh, a real big kick, you know, to get laid off in the middle of a, a terrible pandemic and then have to figure out what to do from there. Um, but from a family standpoint and from a job standpoint, um, all my jobs were essential and, and the family just kept doing what we're doing except for virtual school and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people affected by this, uh, across the board. I, I know of a couple of small businesses near me that, uh, probably aren't even going to open back up because of, uh, the measures that have been taken. And it's, it's a sad story, especially because, uh, you know, that was at the, that was at the mandate of the government. And then the assistance that's offered is, is almost nothing. So it, it's so sad to see that, that a lot of people's livelihoods are, are just down the drain now. Yeah. And I know, and, and there's so many different things that went on during that whole thing. But one of the biggest things when you talk about the government intervening or not intervening that I saw as a business uh, president at that time was we actually were trying to be proactive and we had ordered a ton of masks before the government ever said masks were a good idea or whatnot. We were ordering masks and allowing people to wear them if they wanted to, because we were listening to the news and listening to the international news and understanding what the scientists were saying. And the government actually stole our masks at the border. They took them from us, um, even though they were at the time saying the masks didn't work. They confiscated our masks and gave them to hospitals and government workers and whatnot. Um, and then maybe 10 days later, you know, came out and told us all that we had to have masks. And at that time you couldn't buy them anymore because there had been a run on masks. It was one of the more ridiculous, you know, aspects of the whole story as it went along is I was a business trying to be proactive and trying to keep my employees safe. And the government actually took away my ability to do that, even though they were calling us essential at the time. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't even, I didn't even know that, uh, that, that happened to you. Um, and there's tons, uh, tons of my friends that run businesses ran into the same thing. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. Especially because businesses being proactive and taking these steps, this was, this was happening before the government mandated anything. Yep. A lot of businesses were getting PPE, uh, the, the personal protective equipment, yep. uh, putting in measures, limiting how many people were coming into the, their place of business and all that. And then, yep the government came in and said, no, everything shut down for, you know, at what was the original thing? Probably like two weeks, I think 15, right. yeah. <laughs> 15 days to flatten the curve. And you know, 2022, maybe life will be back to normal. Who knows? But well, we uh, always talk about it here in Oklahoma because, um, cause you know, everyone says uh, libertarians, they don't want to protect people and blah, blah, blah. And this and that about the pandemic. Well, the Oklahoma libertarians actually canceled their convention something like 10 days before um, the government put out their warning. Like at the time when Donald Trump was still saying, it's not a big deal. We canceled our convention out of safety for our members um, and moved it to later. Uh, and, and we did so because that's what private organizations do. You know, they look up, they look at the data, they look at what's going on, they make organizational decisions and they're accountable for those decisions. And same thing, what we were doing at work, you know, we were putting things in place and we were getting people to be safe and, and hiring more cleaning staff and having more shifts and that kind of thing. Um, and we were doing all these things long before the government told us we had to. And then even once the government told us we had to, we went out and tried to do the right thing and the government stole our masks. It was just kind of a, a complete, and, and I'm sitting in one of the more conservative states in the union, you know what I mean? And yeah happened where I was. So I can't even imagine what it was like to try and run a business in New York, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I can't even 
begin to imagine just because I, I don't have anything like that on my plate. I'm just a company man. So whatever the company does, you know, I go along with it. So, uh, being an essential worker myself, like when people asked how the pandemic affected me, I'm like, I'm like, I go, I go to work every day. It's yeah. business as usual. I just have to wear a mask. I wash my hands more often. I don't let people get up in my face. I, I really never let people get up in my face anyway. But, right. <laughs> uh, but do you think, do you think that there's this misconception among other people, like how they say, oh, libertarians, they're just so selfish. They don't, they, they're so selfish. They're so self-centered and they don't care about other people. But honestly, I, like you said, the measures that, that your own state party took, mm-hmm. you know, do you think that there's this misconception that libertarians won't do the, the right thing without yeah. the, com- without the compelling of the government? Yeah. It's all over the place. The Oklahoma city mayor came out and, and went on this rambling rant, um, kind of when, when Oklahoma was hitting their peak and he was like, oh, all these libertarians who think they're scientists are on the internet saying blah, blah, blah. And all of us immediately jumped on him and we're like, hey, we canceled our convention, you know, months before you got involved and weeks before the government got, the governor or the president got involved. Um, and we took action that we were accountable for our members, you know, and you're sitting here throwing our name out there like we are the ones that don't care. We were ahead of this game. We were listening to the scientists. We were looking at the facts and and we were weighing the options. You know, what happens if we're right? What happens if we're wrong? And making a, a decision based on that. And so that's what libertarians do. It's not always just about, we're not gonna cancel anything. You know, we look at the facts and we decide what we're gonna do and we're accountable for our decisions. That's what libertarianism is. So uh, yeah, definitely a misconception out there. Yeah. And uh, that plays into my next bit here. So you've, uh, you've been campaigning for Oklahoma corporation commissioner, correct? And so last one we talked, you were running for, I think, Bixby school board. Yes. Um, And then, so what, what, what happened with, what happened with that? And then what happened to make you, to inspire you to want to run for Oklahoma Corporation yeah. Commissioner. And if you remember right before that, I was running for LNC chair. So I feel you like were. I've been running and losing for stuff pretty constantly over the last 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, so I mean, I ran for chair to try and help fix the party. Um, but one of my planks in chair was that we should run local and focus on local. Uh, when I realized I wasn't getting enough traction in the chair race, I said, okay, I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is and I'm gonna run a local race. So I ran for Bixby School Board, complete disaster um, for a couple of reasons. One, I got terribly sick, probably not COVID, but it was right around that time where it could have been early COVID case. Uh, So I was out for a couple of weeks um, and it was a short period of time to campaign. Two, I was running against Teacher of the Year. Everyone knew her. I didn't because I hadn't been in Bixby that long, Um, but she basically just destroyed us. Uh, She got 90%. The other two people, including myself, got 5% each. so good experience, got to talk to a lot of people towards the end of the campaign, um, got to handle campaign finance and, and got to run a local race. It was nonpartisan, so no one even knew I was a libertarian. Um, right. Then we looked at this race and we were trying to find somebody to run for corporation commission because in Oklahoma, if you get two and a half percent in any statewide race, you secure ballot access for the next four years. Um, and the only statewide races this year were president, senate, U.S. Senate and uh, Corporation Commission. And obviously we didn't know if we were gonna get the president two and a half percent, you just never know. Um, 
put somebody in the Senate race. But again, that's another one where you don't know if you're going to get it. Inhofe is a pretty powerful senator, you know, and pretty popular in Oklahoma. Uh, and Corporation Commission seemed like a pretty good chance of getting the two and a half percent. So we were watching the race. There's like a three or four day filing period, three day filing period, and no Democrat filed for the first two days. And all of a sudden we're like, this might end up being a one-on-one -on -one race, which has happened multiple times in the Corporation Commission, uh, where it's either one-on-one -on -one or even unopposed. And so on the last day we jumped in um, and it turned into us versus two Republicans. The two Republicans went at it in the primary, and now it's me versus the incumbent. Um, but when we went in that last day and decided it was going to be a one-on-one -on -one race, it came down to, okay, if this is going to be a one-on-one -on -one race, let's go find a candidate who really has the experience, who can really go after this, and who can do the job and make a real campaign out of it. Um, and, and we all kind of circled up and decided that I was the guy, and we went forward with it. Yeah. And, and how has that experience been in campaigning? I mean, obviously it's, it's not traditional campaigning uh, in some senses because of, you know, COVID and, and restrictions that are in place, but how has like, how have you been campaigning and how has that experience been for you? It actually played into my strengths a little bit in that, um, in that I'm not a big retail campaigner. I, you know, I've got a big job that takes up a lot of my time. I've got four kids. Um, we don't have a ton of money in the libertarian campaign, so we can't go out and, you know, put signs up all over the state. Uh, and there's just not a lot of libertarians in the state, so we can't go knocking on all the doors, you know what I mean? So the fact that we had to do it online and me being, um, you know, having a decent online presence with Twitter and Facebook allowed me to go at it that way. We've raised over $10,000 um, from 22 different states. So we kind of made it a nationwide fundraising effort across my Twitter fan base and the, and the Facebook folks. Um, and we decided that we were gonna go after mass media and try and really run it like a big campaign. So instead of spending $200,000 like my opponent's gonna over a period of seven months, we decided we were gonna spend 10 or $15,000 over the period of seven or 10 days at the end uh, with the idea that nobody cares about corporation commission until right at the end. And we're hoping to match him during the time period where everybody cares. Um, so we were able to buy TV. We've got TV ads running. We've got billboard ads running. We've got OTT streaming ads running. Uh, and then we're probably going to drop some Facebook here at the last minute. Um, so we're, we're trying to run it like a real big wig campaign like they would. We just compressed it all, all our spending into a week so that we could have kind of like a week or two weeks of. Uh, real solid, strong campaigning right up against the competitor. Yeah, that's a uh, that's good allocation of resources and money, I would say. Like, yeah, basically didn't spend anything. We spent probably three hundred bucks up until the last month of the campaign. Yeah, yeah. So you, it's it's a single race against the Republican, correct? Yep, yep. Just me against the incumbent, and he's got his own set of challenges from ethics standpoint. Um, and so people are starting to understand that. Uh, he's been a long time, you know, 20 some odd years, um, politicians, a career politician. Uh, I'm a business owner. It's a, it's a pretty interesting race. I'm getting a lot of attention from the Democrats and the independents, which we'll need. Um, the most a third party candidate's ever gotten in, in Oklahoma is 25%. So if we get 25%, we set a record for the third party in Oklahoma. If you get to 32% or above, you start talking about one of the top five finishes in the LP for statewide positions ever in the country. So we're really hoping to see if we can get up over 32%, but I'd say we're probably somewhere in that 25 to 32 range right now. 
polling actually just came out, I should say that polling just came out, 56 to 14, losing to the incumbent with 29% undecided. Okay. So, so we've got 14 already and we got 29% that we can go after. Uh, the other big thing that we did, which was really good, uh, and I would stress this to other libertarians running, is we knew that this was going to be a challenge from the beginning. So we went after uh, search engine optimization really early. So if you were to type in Todd Hyatt versus Todd Hagopian right now, you will pop up probably 80% of what pops up are articles about me or articles about me attacking him. Um, so for the people who don't know anything about the race, who are just looking into it right now for the first time, it is basically impossible to find out anything about him. Um, okay. And so we made it that way on purpose. And we did that through through labeling the articles correctly and getting them out there early. Um, and that's working. And I've heard from other people uh, that have reached out to my campaign and said, you know, I'm having trouble finding information on the other guy. What's your stance on this? You know, that kind of thing. So it's definitely working. Awesome. So how has the feedback been with Oklahomans that you've been able to be in contact yeah, with? It's, uh, it's been a little bit disappointing here and there, because uh, what I'm finding is that Democrats actually, many Democrats actually view the Libertarians as worse than the Republicans, which I didn't really understand, which makes me think even more strongly about what I was talking about during the LNC chair race, is that we need, uh, we need to better that brand nationally. Uh, because they clearly don't understand that we agree with them, you know, more than 50% of the time and Republicans agree with them 0% of the time. They don't, that doesn't cross their radar at all. Um, but after talking to them, you know, they understand where I'm coming from and they, and they get on board. I've had very few people actually give me the time of day and then tell me that they're still voting for the Republican, you know, if they started out as a Democrat or an independent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I find that a lot too. Um, a lot of like either misconceptions or just uh just uh preconceived notions against libertarians about you know where you would line up politically a, a lot of the democrats that i end up talking to think that uh they they think that uh i'm some kind of like hyper republican or something right. and i'm like i'm like yeah. whoa hold on i'm like yeah. if i was a republican i would be in the republican party right. and i'd be talking about those points but you know i'm like if we agree halfway on these things you know some of the other things yeah we might butt heads over but that's what we're supposed to do anyway we're supposed to debate those things out and and so do you find do you find people are open to that once you get a chance to talk to them like one-on-one -on -one or yeah and i'm probably a little blessed in that there is no democratic opponent you know what right. i mean they're reaching out to me because they're literally trying to figure out you know which of the worst evils should they pick and they assume that i'm an evil you know what i mean and right. once I talk to them and under and help them understand that I'm nowhere near a Republican, you know what I mean? I'm I'm a libertarian. It's completely different, and this is what we believe in. They start to get on board pretty quick um, because they, you know, as a Democrat, they're typically completely opposed to the Republicans, and even independents are usually opposed to Republicans in Oklahoma because otherwise you'd be a Republican where everyone is. You know, why wouldn't you be a Republican if you? <laughs> so, so most independents are conservative Democrats. Here is what I'm finding. Yeah. Um, who will swing Republican, you know, on occasion, uh, but you definitely have your fair shot at getting them. So, well, that's, that's awesome though. And I, I, that encourages me because a lot of times I see, especially in races where it ends up being like a Republican and then an independent or a libertarian or some other party, yeah. you know, a lot of times people just get discouraged and they don't even pay attention to those yeah. races. 
Exactly. I hate to see that. It, it, in my own home state, um, a couple weeks ago, I interviewed my state senator, um, who I'm, I correspond with a lot and talk with a lot, um, because when he ran against the incumbent Democrat, she had been in her spot for like 26 years. Right. She was president pro temp of the state Senate and all that. Yeah. And many times she ran unopposed. Like nobody would just, nobody would throw their hat in because this isn't, this isn't a Republican district. It's not, it's not a worthy endeavor right. uh, until you get somebody like, like my state Senator Anthony, who, who decides, well, I'm going to throw my hat in and I'm going to fight a good fight, you know, yeah. and, and he prevailed. He prevailed by only like 282 votes or something, but right. You know, especially local races, it can come down to just a handful of votes sometimes. Yeah, and it's a, a big thing for us to focus on. Over 40 races in Oklahoma uh, had no competitor. It was just one person got it and they got elected because nobody, nobody ran against them at all. And there's not a lot of states like that, but there's many. And those are the states where libertarians really have to pick and choose where to put their battles and and put somebody in there so that it's one-on-one -on -one races people are you know ricky harrington ricky harrington ricky's awesome but the reason we're all talking about ricky harrington is because it's a one-on-one -on -one race yeah right and and that's why it's so important because now we're getting our message out that's the reason you know with donald rainwater that's a little bit different we're talking about donald rainwater because the democrat's an idiot and everyone just can't stand him you know what i mean uh, but also because he he went He's kind of getting Democrat votes with this stance and he's getting Republican votes with that stance. Donald Rainwater is kind of the, the epitome of how you should run in a three-person race. But if you look at Ricky Harrington, this is what we need to do is every time there's only a one-person race, we need to jump in there. And it's the best way to get our message heard on the local level, even though Ricky's running statewide too. I, you know, it, Ricky Dale Harrington, the thing that surprises me with this, and I, I really want your take on this, just yep. because I recall when you're running for LNC chair, do you, do you think Ricky gets enough resources from the national, uh, from the LNC national, or do you think he's kind of like been able to do what he's been able to do on his own with the LP of the state there? Yeah. I, I'm not 100% familiar with what Ricky's gotten from National. I've probably gotten two emails from National touting Ricky's campaign, mm -hmm. uh, which has been nice. Uh, I don't know how much he's gotten out of that. I think that Ricky has gotten a lot more help from his own uh, state party, but then also just from the internet libertarians. That's a lot of what I found in my race, even though it's not as high, high profile, is that people are sick of giving $50 to somebody who's going to get 3% of the vote. They want right. their dollars to matter. And Ricky, you know, has a chance to win. Donald has a chance to win. I've got a chance to win. And that's why we're pulling these donations from all over the country instead of just that state. Um, now, should the national do more? I don't know how much the national could do. Um, but what I do know is that they do a lot for the presidential uh, candidates and then, and then not a lot for local. And that's always been, you know, one of my issues that I hit on last year. Um, so, I mean, it goes back to, I don't know how familiar you are with the Mises Caucus, uh, the LP mm -hmm. Mises Caucus, but one of their things is they pick a handful of um, people who are running and they gave them a significant amount of money for a local race so that they can actually do something with it. So instead of giving, you know, $15,000 to um, Joe Jorgensen in some way, you know, they might actually max out with Joe, I think, but but instead of giving uh, big money to gubernatorial candidates that are in three-way races, they go real local.
they find somebody who's going to benefit from $2,000 and they give that guy $2,000 and help him try and win a local race. That's what we need to do a lot more of is we need to spend our time and resources where we get the biggest return on investment. And that's races like Ricky, races like mine and Donald's. Uh, and then and then definitely races even below that, where you have a one-on-one -on -one person running for a state rep or state senate or mayor or sheriff. Those are the races where you get the real bang for the buck, where you give somebody 500 bucks and it literally changes the scope of the campaign. Yeah, you're talking about kind of like how I was saying, you're, you're talking about races where 50 votes make a difference. Exactly. I mean, $500 can get you 50 votes right there. $500 can get you 50 votes. You know what I mean? So. Um, and I had multiple people give me $500 in my campaign. So, so I could argue that that would have gone better, you know, to a local candidate uh, and I'd be fine with that. Um, but I think that's, that's what we really need to focus on. And, and the LP, I would say did a better job this time than last time in highlighting some local races. They didn't highlight mine at all. Um, they highlighted Ricky, Donald, uh, Baron, I think in Kentucky got highlighted and then a couple of super local races that were kind of their favorite people got highlighted, which I, which I wasn't thrilled about. It was a little bit of inside baseball there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll say this much because this go around, I know of names like yourself and Ricky Dale Harrington Jr. Yeah. And Donald Rainwater. Whereas in 2016, it felt like it was just like a Gary Johnson campaign straight yeah. out. Mm -hmm. uh, but even, even with national attention, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's LP efforts. I don't know if it's my own state party efforts or whatever, but I have noticed this year, um, I've actually seen Joe Jorgensen for president signs and not just like the small ones on my wall there. Yeah. I've seen like the big billboard style ones that they've been yeah. putting up in my state. And that was not for Gary Johnson in 2016, I, I barely saw any of that. Yeah, what they've done differently from what I can tell, and I know the person who's running the Oklahoma Jorgensen campaign, from what I can tell is they've done a much better ground game than Johnson did. You know, they've had this bus tour, they've had two events in Oklahoma, they've had other events outside, you know, in other states. They get a decent number of people that show up, and at those events, they're handing out the signs and they're signing up volunteers um and they're working the ground game whereas the whole deal with johnson and weld uh and the whole reason i think Weld became our vp candidate is because they basically brought money to the table right mm -hmm. uh, and then they used that money a little bit how i am in my race where it's just kind of like you know what we're not going to do the ground game we're just going to do all the big stuff and try and play that we're a big campaign um and it worked i mean we we obviously had a very good from a vote standpoint um electoral season in 2016 so it's going to be really interesting to see how joe does because i do think that the polls um well let's put it this way she's way down compared to johnson in the polls uh, mm -hmm. from 2016 johnson massively underperformed his polls i think joe will minimally outperform her polls and they'll end up you know close to each other is what i'm hoping um but uh but I think that her ground game is a lot stronger. What I think is gonna be really interesting and will teach us some lessons is what happens in these states like Arkansas, where Ricky is a big deal, does that yield Joe votes or not? So what yeah. I'm looking forward to do is does Arkansas, did she beat Johnson in Arkansas, but lost to Johnson in other states? And what that tells me is you put strong local guys up and it helps the presidential candidate and not the other way around. 
Um, so that's one of the things that I personally am watching because I think it's going to be interesting learning. And if we find out that, then there's a real um, use case for a business case for showing national that we should be putting money towards the local candidates that can lift a presidential candidate up rather than the other way around. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest issues I've had with uh, with the Libertarian Party itself is just that oftentimes there's so much focus on just the presidential yeah. race. Yeah. And then, and, and it's always uh, sometimes talking with other libertarians too, that so much focus on the presidential race as if you can change things from the top down right. and everything, every indication that I've seen is that bottom up is what, is what yeah. makes that work. And I, and, and I've had this discussion with a lot of folks and I've learned a little bit about this uh, because, because I was preaching, you know, forget the presidential race and this and that. There are quite a few states that have ballot access directly linked to the presidential race. Um, and so we really wanted to be strategic. That's where we would spend money on the presidential race and, and not spend money in the other states. You know what I mean? And then we would spend our money on local races in the other states. So for example, Oklahoma, there's no real reason to spend money on Jorgensen here if the corporation commissioner can get you the ballot access. You know what I right. mean? Um, and, and then you go to another state where it has to be the president. Okay, well then spend more money in that state and more time in that state so that we ensure ballot access and we don't have to fight that fight. Um, but Oklahoma is, I mean, going back to what we were talking about before, I'm feeling pretty good about Oklahoma, even in our first election back on the ballot in 16, uh, Johnson got over 5% of the vote. Uh, there's a heavy independent presence here um, and, and the ground game has been pretty strong. So I'm feeling good about what Joe's doing here compared to what Johnson did. Oh yeah, and and I I have nothing but praise for Joe and and Spike doing doing things like the bus tour because yeah. in 2016 I don't recall Johnson Weld being anywhere near where yeah. I was to go see them. I've actually seen Joe at one of these bus uh, right. campaigns because she came here to Delaware and it was yeah. it was a good showing of people that was there. Yeah. I was actually surprised at how many people had showed up to to see it because it's it's Delaware. It's Joe Biden's state. Right. You know, there's no Joe Biden signs around, but everybody's going to vote for right. you know Joe Biden. <laughs> but I, I think that that ground game it plays an important role. I, I'm with you. I I think it will be very interesting to see the results of it. Um, that, that's, that's my big hangup right now is because 2016, I was like, you had probably historically the most two unlikable candidates. I yeah. think, you know, I think right now in 2020, it's not much better, but at the same token, I think the 2016 lineup of candidates was worse yeah. than what it is now. I think, I think now we're on a different level with how people are approaching the race. I mean, you yeah. know, that's something that we should probably finish out on. Sure. We've seen Joe Biden, we've seen Donald Trump, and we've seen yeah. how those campaigns work. We've seen their, their, their one atrocious debate and then their follow-up debate. I mean, what are your thoughts on how that race has been going? Yeah, I mean, I, I would regrettably, what I'm going to say is that I think that both of them are more likable than the candidates, quote-unquote candidates that ran in 2016. Joe Biden, more Democrats like Joe than Hillary. And mm -hmm. Donald Trump, more Republicans today like Donald Trump than they did back in 2016, is my opinion. I know there's the Lincoln Project and all this, and people try and try for to forget that that was actually a thing back in 16. But there were plenty of Republicans, yeah. myself included, who left the party in 16. You know, because right. of Trump. Um, there's a lot less of those, I think, now 
So I think that unfortunately, 2020 is not as good of an election for third parties. It won't be as good of an election for third parties as 2016 is. That's my opinion. Uh, from the from the standpoint of the race goes, I just did my electoral map prediction, and I've got 285 for Biden. Um, I think Biden wins with 285 electoral votes. I think that Pennsylvania is going to be the key. And I think Trump and Biden both figured that out this week. You saw that Trump was there three times today and Biden showed up there unexpectedly. It wasn't even on his radar. Um, so I think it's going to be 285 for Biden if he wins Pennsylvania and 273 for Trump if he wins Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, and the rest of the country is pretty much figured out already where they're going to end up. Yeah. What, what do you think? Uh, what do you think total popular vote will come down to? I think Biden's going to win pretty significantly more than Hillary did. Um, and, and that's going to spark another electoral college discussion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially if Trump finds a way to win, but even if he doesn't, um, and Biden squeaks out a victory, you know, while Trump loses the popular vote by a lot, I'm guessing that Biden wins by 6%. Uh, yeah. I think it's going to be significant. Yeah. 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 With Hillary, it was three, like 3 million votes, I think. So yeah. I could I could easily see the same scenario, but I think at least according to the polls and the polls the pollsters have adjusted their style from 2016 because they know they they bungled it. Um, well, and I think the interesting part, if you've been watching, is these uh, early voting totals have been yeah. crazy. In Oklahoma, 70% of the early votes have come. Or sorry, 70% of the early voters have been registered independents or Democrats. Yeah. Even though they only make up about 40% of the electorate. Right. Oh, independents and Democrats are voting much higher numbers early uh, than Republicans. Um, and then younger people, supposedly, is what I'm hearing, are voting much more. And minorities are voting much more in higher numbers. And so if this actually raises the tide of how many people vote, it seems like that tide is swinging towards the left. Uh, mm. and polls are going to be wrong the other way and it's actually going to swing more towards biden than than people realize i'm not calling that yet but i do think biden's going to win by six percent i think it's going to be a pretty significant popular vote win and there will be a pretty big problem in the country if if he wins by that much and trump ekes out a, a small electoral college victory i think it's still legitimate the electoral college is what it is and it's supposed to be that way so that small states get paid attention to but um but that'll cause some that'll cause a rough four years, I think. It will. And and then this doesn't even cover the fact that uh I've been saying this for the past couple of weeks because it it's the it's the new talking point. Joe Biden comes out, you know, he's I think it's what, nine days or eight days to election day. Yeah. But that they all say that and I'm like, okay, in the past, yes we have election day, we go to bed and like at three o'clock in the morning on the East right. coast, we know who's won. Right. That's not going to be the case this year. This year it's at least going to be till the end of the week, if not, you know, a week yeah. plus a couple of days. Well, and, I mean, yeah, the problem is Pennsylvania. If Pennsylvania comes down to be in the swing state, uh, yeah. as long as they're postmarked by election day, they count. Yeah. So, so we won't know until the weekend, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that if, if I think the worst bit, will be immediately following election day because the results won't be out yet. I think that's when things are going to be immensely heated yeah. until it, it, until the, the results do drop. And then I don't, you know, it depends on how it flows. Like you said, 
Biden might come out with the, uh, with the popular vote victory and then Trump ekes out an electoral college victory and then we're battling over the EC again. Right. Uh, if it flipped to Biden, I wouldn't be surprised to hear some Republicans come out and start going against the EC just because. But, uh, right. I, you know, I, I would say it's less than less than if Biden wins the popular vote and doesn't win the EC. Yeah, I am hoping for, as I always do with every election, even before I became a libertarian, I'm hoping for gridlock. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm hoping that if Biden wins, then the House or the or probably the Senate, you know, uh, holds Republican. And if Trump wins, then the Democrats take both of the House and the Senate. You know, I'd like as much gridlock as humanly possible so the government can just stop messing up. Right, right. Yep. I, I totally get it, man. Um, so uh, we've been going at it for 35 minutes now. Is there anything that we haven't covered that, that you want to talk about? Anything you want to bring up? Uh, no, I think I think that's pretty much it. I think um, it's I think the big, oh, you know what? The other small race to keep an eye on is uh, Bethany Baldez out in Wyoming. Uh, just okay. give that one a shout out for people who haven't been following this race. It's a state house race. Um, she got, she set a record for libertarians nationwide by getting 49% in the state house race last time around. Um, the guy who she lost to is retiring, so she's running again. Um, okay. And she has a legitimate shot at winning uh, this time around. She is actually, I believe, the daughter of a longtime perennial candidate in the state who helped keep them on the ballot for a long period of time. So it's just a really good story about kind of a second generational libertarian um, who is really trying to get us our first state house win, uh, which would be a huge deal in the Libertarian Party. Uh, so I think people should check out that race, Bethany Baldez in Wyoming. Um, that one, Ricky Harrington, uh, Donald Rainwater, myself, um, all have a chance to set Libertarian Party records if we have hit certain marks. Um, and the only way we're going to get bigger as a party is if we keep bettering on the record and then finally start winning races. Uh, so these are the things we need to keep keep in mind, even if election day doesn't go our way at the top of the ticket. Absolutely. We got to keep steam and momentum and keep plotting and planning, regardless of how it ends up, because uh, it, it's a it's an uphill battle and we got to we got to keep scaling upwards. Yeah. And uh, then take a look at those races and then and then learn from them for mm -hmm. the next round. Absolutely. So Todd, to, to close out, where can people find you online uh, about your campaign too? Because uh, this is going to go up either tonight or tomorrow. So it yep. still gives them the shot, give a look at you and help you out. Yep. Lay it uh, all out. Absolutely. Find me, find me at Twitter at Todd Hagopian. Find me on my website, toddhagopian.com. Uh, find me on Facebook, Todd Hagopian for Corporation Commission. All right. Thanks, Todd, for coming on the Fritzcast again, man. Yep. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.